This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor and I'm joined tonight by Brady and David. Tonight we're going to be breaking down some breaking football news in the Georgia State world, as well as talking about a couple comfortable wins over the Louisiana schools, and then uh, preview a little Alabama road trip for the men's basketball team, and then get into some listener questions. But first of all, we're going to break. We had some breaking news today in the Georgia State football world uh, that the athletics department announced today they have scheduled a home-and-home series with Georgia Tech. You'll see Georgia State visiting Bobby Dodd Stadium to open up the 2024 season. And Georgia Tech will be visiting Georgia State Stadium two years following in the 2026 season. What are our reactions to this announcement from the athletics department today? That's a great next step for this program. Um, Obviously, Georgia Tech is an ACC school and Georgia State has historically never been afraid to schedule people. Um, But, you know, it's nice to see that Georgia State and Georgia Tech are starting to want to build that relationship um, in kind of major athletics. I know there was a closed door exhibition that Georgia State and Georgia Tech played, I believe, before the 2017 basketball season. Um, And... There's kind of been rumbling since then about if they're ever going to play an actual game in, during the regular season for out-of-conference play. But this is huge. I think this is a great opportunity for Georgia State and Georgia Tech you know, to kind of schedule an opponent that they that makes sense, but they probably wouldn't have scheduled otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it just makes the sense in the world. It's the two Atlanta schools three miles apart. I mean, it's just... It's a- a home run for Georgia State because the big schools in states don't usually like to schedule, let alone go play at schools to give them legitimacy. But I think that with all of the moniker that they've been laying on with Coach Collins in football, the 404 and the Waffle House and all of this, I think there's a degree to which they want to schedule Georgia State, presume they're going to win and be like, yeah, no, like this is this is us. We're of Atlanta and that's fine. That's their prerogative. But for Georgia State, it means you're getting another power five team into your house and it's an in-state rival. And I think that it's going to be a game that should drive up interest on both sides, definitely on the Georgia State side. Um, and I think that it'll be an easy road game for Georgia Tech fans to make. Considering it's barely, I don't even think you can consider it a road game, considering you're going three extra miles down 7585. Uh, right. I think that'll lead to I saw Ben Moore talking about this on Twitter, that that is easily going to be like a, a mega sellout for on the Georgia State side. And th- you had to think that in six years from now, there's a solid chance that Georgia State could have reached a point in the renovations to the stadium that they'd be able to open up maybe the upper deck and have even more capacity for a game like that. So and then again, who knows where both of these programs will be in four years. Georgia State could be continually on the up and ups, um, maybe not, not even in the Sun Belt anymore. Like we really don't know. It's a little far in the future to begin kind of like talking anymore other than like it's going to be good for the program and hypotheticals. But yeah, I'm just excited as a fan. I mean, just it was cool to hear that that was happening as of today, it was kind of just came out of nowhere. And I feel like a, the Georgia State community at large uh, feels feels the same. I will go to the, the challenge part of, of this news. Um, the 2026 home game for, with Georgia Tech is kind of 
it's kind of where the gauntlet's been thrown now as far as the athletic side and everything in the stadium, because here's the thing. There's some other power conference teams coming in before that game. North Carolina's visiting, Vanderbilt's visiting, but that's the real game where a lot of the eyeballs around the area are going to either literally be there in person or on TV watching, you know, it's going to be a big showcase. And so Setting this game in 2026 means, you know, whether it's the stadiums expanded like Taylor, you were mentioning, or whether it's just the phases are complete and it's kind of the stadium is going to be long term rather than right now. There's still some stuff that's kind of like it's in between a baseball stadium or there's this thing that we need to sort out before the next offseason, whatever. You setting this game means like that it's go time and you have to be ready. This this game has to be georgia state stadium as we want the world to see it oh absolutely um i gotta have a question i know it's so far out though david from chicago right <laughs> right um i i struggle to frame this because i don't want to outright say like all right david what, just say it long time listener first time <laughs> caller <laughs> i don't want to say like what do you expect out of these two games because obviously that's four and six years from now you know but do you think that this could sort of be some sort of build up towards a rivalry between tech? And I, I, I don't want to use the word rivalry because I know Georgia State has Southern. And, you know, last week we talked about uh, Louisiana Lafayette. But I don't know. Sometimes it feels like when there are two schools close together, people love to throw that R word out. And I'm not saying that I have any animosity towards tech. I, I don't, but you know, I I'm curious how that's going to go in terms of these schools long-term. You know what I mean? I do. And it's kind of, again, weird to think about not only because it's so far away from when we're recording this, but also Georgia tech is a comp is a, is a program that's in flux. They're completely overhauling their offensive system. We don't know what this team's going to look like next year, let alone four or six years from now. And I think that Georgia Tech on their side has obviously like one of the oldest, if not one of the oldest programs in the country, um, if not, you know, in the in that conversation, at least. And Georgia State is in the grand scheme of college football, a very, very new organization, a new program. So, you know, this will be Georgia State's 14th and 16th seasons. Uh, and just think about how far Georgia State has come in 10 years. I mean, we don't know what this team could look like. Like I said, they might even be in the Sun Belt. There could have been a you know a concert, conference move from here until then, and that might bring you know a better recruiting pool to Georgia State. Like We don't know what this team will look like in six years uh, when we're hosting Georgia Tech or four years when we're playing there. Um, but again, it's just I think this is something like Brady is alluding to that like you are scheduling this. Like you are kind of artificially setting the like, hey, this is going to be like we're hoping to be at least competitive with a power five conference school uh, in our own home city within the next four and six years. Yeah, I mean, the results, uh, I don't you know, we can't project nor can we say with any confidence, but the games happening is almost as big of a deal as what happens in the games to me. Um However, to David's question, I think that the results matter a little bit as far as it being a quote rivalry, quote, whatever you want to call it. Um, if Georgia State fans pack out Bobby Dodd, you know, really bring a lot of noise, bring a lot of energy and it's a fun environment. 
and they play him well and it's not, you know, I guess either they play him really well or it's just a blowout and it's like, yeah, we could do a tune up like this every once in a while. But I think that it it's going to be in, in the form of how the game experience is, how that part of it shapes up as far as how much this continues. Uh, I think it is curious that it is a home and home right off the bat rather than even uh, messing about with we Georgia State goes to Bobby Dodd. And then then after that, there's a home and home makes me wonder if that was just athletic director Charlie Cobb saying we want a home and home. We can do a home and home. Let's do a home and home and kind of not moving away from that point. Um, I guess the last thing I would say for me on this is it actually kind of got breadcrumbs laid a couple months ago. Uh, Coach Elliott was talking about it on his coaches show, and I don't know whether it was intentionally leaving a little trail or whatever, but he specifically said something along the lines of we're working on a matchup to play Georgia tech in football. And uh, so I think that now that it's played out, there obviously was a little bit of smoke there. And so I thought that that was interesting. I, I remember that today as the news was coming out. I do also kind of want to take a second. So in writing up a little report for the website today about the announcement I took a chance to look at some of the other out-of-conference opponents that Georgia State have coming up, uh, especially coming to play in Georgia State Stadium. And it's certainly, I feel like, ahead of where anybody would expect uh, a regular old, um, you know, FCS school that makes the jump. Like the, the kind of the school and the history that Georgia State has had, I feel like doesn't match up with the uh, the caliber of teams coming into play uh, in Georgia State Stadium. So, I mean, next year in 2020, you have playing at Alabama, at Charlotte, and then home against East Carolina. 2021, you play Army again at home, going to North Carolina, and then hosting Charlotte, going to Auburn. Uh, at South Carolina, nor- uh, home versus North Carolina and Charlotte, and then at Army in 2022. I mean, you have LSU coming up in 2023. You're playing at home and home with Vanderbilt, 23-24-25, excuse me. And then now you add in this Georgia Tech. Like, Georgia State has consistently shown that they're not afraid to go out and schedule these games. And this year they showed that they're not just going to be rolling up, getting beat and collecting their check and going home. I mean, I think that the Tennessee win will give some teams in the future might have given them pause to scheduling Georgia State because oftentimes you don't want to have, you know, you're paying a smaller school to come in and, and win in your own house or get anything like that. Um, but I think it's cool that Georgia State is such a relatively young program that are able to go out here and schedule competitively in their out-of-conference slate. That makes it interesting to watch as a fan, too. I mean, we don't have to rehash kind of the nature of Atlanta sports fandom, you know, but there is a large melting pot of sports fans that live in Atlanta. You know, some went to Georgia State that have kind of partial allegiances elsewhere. So, you know, that's kind of fun that you get to have bigger schools come to Georgia State Stadium where you get to watch, you know, Georgia State play, you know, kind of on national TV against, you know, schools that they would otherwise not play. So, you know, this announcement was really good. It's it's going to be fun to see the kind of the direction that Georgia State football goes over the next few years. And, you know, if they keep scheduling people, you know, more people will come. So, it will definitely be interesting to see how that plays out and looking forward to it. Moving back to present day and less, uh, you know, head in the clouds. Uh, basketball did happen this week. 
Louisiana schools came into town. We, we, we told you what needed to happen. We, we said basketball team needs to go get two comfortable wins, get some rest for some guys. They listened to the pod, maybe an interesting strategy given it was right before the game, but <laughs> they listened to the pod because <laughs> you got a comfortable win over a very depleted Louisiana. And then on Saturday, just kind of grinded it out and took over in the second and half, sort of like a stretch against Texas state where they closed out that game, except it was a little earlier in the half, put it away against ULM to where the game was for all intents and purposes over with 10 minutes to go. And that was what they needed. It was right at a time when they needed to play the schools they did and they got the wins they needed. They didn't, let a team hang about and have to have their starters play, you know, 30, 35 minutes. And later in the year, that's going to matter just on a sheer legs point of view. Yeah, no, two great wins for Georgia state. I'll kind of echo those pod, those pod uh, sentiments because, you know, we said exactly what they needed to do. Two comfortable wins, easy wins, you know, get some guys with a little bit more confidence. Um, you know, last week, Taylor, you mentioned how Corey Allen, you know, uh, he had kind of sagged off a little bit and he came out and immediately had 24 points against Lafayette, you know, followed that up with 18 against ULM. You know, that's the type of weekend that Corey Allen needs to have to be successful. You know, anytime you can play less than a half in a college basketball game and, you know, your team blows out the other team, you're doing something right, you know, and that's, that's exactly what this team needed to hopefully propel them through a tough stretch that's going to come up soon. Yeah, specifically against Louisiana on Thursday, no starter, no player at all played 25 minutes or more and you won the game by 38. So that's just a best-case scenario on all counts. Uh, and I guess I would also just say the thing that continues to stand out for me in conference play, and which is growing, is Nelson Phillips and Cavante Ivory off the bench. They've found something. Yeah, I was actually just about to jump in and say that I wanted to also give, while well, Dave was talking about Corey Allen, who had a great last couple games nelson phillips uh against louisiana lafayette played 25 minutes off the bench led everyone uh on the bench in minutes and came out with the 17.4 rebounds on 7-11 shooting uh three for five from three as well and then against louisiana monroe another solid game you know 11 11 points and three rebounds two steals and assist two blocks uh, only one turnover, and that's, again, on five of six shooting on 20 minutes. So, I mean, he specifically, um, Kevontae Ivory is another um, dude who's becoming a bigger part of that bench unit, um, both of whom are kind of carving out spots now that this team is starting to gel with one another. We're really getting into the thick of conference play. We've been playing together for, what, three, four months at this point. Like, the team is starting to come together in ways other than what we saw at the beginning of the year, where it was a lot of ball dominant or uh, uh ball dominant guard play and now some of the other guys that are working their ways into the rotation are finding effective uses for the minutes that they're getting yeah no absolutely i mean those two combined are averaging 12 points a game and they're kind of playing that hybrid sixth man type role but they'll both see the court at the same time so it's kind of that kind of not but if you're like biggest bench piece is coming off the bench and scoring 12 points a game in college basketball. That's an absolute win. 
you know, it's really nice to see the development of Nelson Phillips and kind of the surprise in Cavante Ivory, because coming into the season, I'm not sure that we knew necessarily that he was going to be a piece, but it seems, you know, coach Lanier is very willing to bring him on when, you know, they want to rotate, you know, uh, Justin Roberts out, Damon Wilson out. If one of them's in foul trouble or just not being incredibly effective, you know, Ivory has played in almost every game so far this season. And coach Lanier is playing them both earlier in the game and together at the same time earlier in the game. I want to say it was 13 minutes on the clock in the first half, something around there in one of the games they both checked in and for a team that prides themselves on steals, no matter who's on the court and just playing stingy defense. uh, Are you ready for the, the havoc defense, the we don't want to play against these guys defense that Georgia state can roll out at times. So you got, Kane Williams, Justin Roberts, Nelson, Cavante, Jalen Thomas. And four of those guys can shoot from three, too. Um, I'm just saying, that's my chaos lineup. That's my, uh, you know, middle of the game. Especially if it's a team that's starting to have a good shooting night, put in that group. And um, they, they'll hit you from the steals. They'll contest shots. They'll get blocks. They'll just D you up. And I do want to kind of armchair coaching for me. (laughs) I do want to kind of pivot back real quick to highlight Nelson Phillips performance against Louisiana Lafayette last Thursday, where he came out. I already mentioned 17 points on seven of 11 field goal uh, percentage, but he's having some of the he's playing some of his best basketball we've seen from him at his time at Georgia State. Other than the opening game against Bruton Parker and then. Uh, a couple of weeks ago at the end of December where he dropped 12 against Texas state. This is the first time he's dropped double digit points all year. And he's done it in three straight games, 16 against Arkansas state, 17 against Louisiana Lafayette, 11 points against Louisiana Monroe. And all of these are coming on really high percentage, really efficient nights for him. You know, 71% against Arkansas state, seven, 11, 63.6% against Louisiana Lafayette at five Oh six. I mean, he's just finding ways to be efficient with the time that he's given. And he's also stepping up and not just becoming just a score. I mean, like against Louisiana Lafayette, he was all over the box score, you know, four steals, a block and assist four rebounds, no turnovers. I mean, that's huge for a sophomore who's trying to kind of still find his way into fitting in with this team. And also the team is going through a huge time of change and flux as well with, you know, the turning the coaching turnover and all that stuff. So it's just cool to see him get out and make the most of the minutes he's being given and really contribute to this team in a meaningful way. And I think what is interesting about Nelson also is that he's since he's been here, kind of been a guy that at times can contribute without box score contributions. He can show up by playing tough defense, whether it gets a steal or not. So if he's showing up on the box score and still doing some of that stuff, watch out. No, you're absolutely right. You know, and it's becoming harder and harder for Coach Lanier not to play him because of how he's doing and because of the impact that he can have, even if he isn't scoring as much as he has in the last three games. So I guess I I keep talking about blowouts because that's fun. We should probably move forward. Uh, Road trip coming up. It's kind of a weird stretch. It's a tough stretch. 
but it's also just a weird stretch because coming up is the Alabama teams on the road, then just Georgia Southern on the road the next week. And then the Alabama schools come to the Georgia schools the week after. So over the next five games, Georgia State will play three teams that are unique. <laughs> um, and I think it's a really pivotal stretch because of who Georgia State is tied with in the Sun Belt right now. I mean, Little Rock is there also and won't be going away, but Georgia State and Georgia Southern are tied at the top of the Sun Belt, and they play the same two teams twice and each other in the next two weeks. And so it could be a stretch of games that kind of determines the difference between where those two teams lie in the standings. And neither one of these games is a game that I'm really comfortable with. No, especially not these South Alabama games. Um, They were picked to be the favorites in the conference and definitely started a little slow. But I feel like we are witnessing kind of the turnaround Um, with all respect to UTA them getting that comfortable win kind of made sense, but then they got a really good win against Arkansas state. And then at little rock, they also had a nice win um, almost by double digits where they just completely shut them down, completely shut down the Trojans in the second half. Um, And if this is the South Alabama team that we thought we were going to get at the beginning of the season, it's going to be very important for the Panthers to play that pace and tempo that they are known for this year. Yeah. And I just kind of want to jump into your point about how South Alabama has, you know, been a little rocky to start. They really have turned it on out of late. They've won five of their last six, but for that they had lost four or five. So, I mean, this team really, you could see basically since the new year, I mean, their, their last win in this stretch of six games came in the 28th of December. So, I mean, really since the, since the new year, the South Alabama team has looked completely different. And like Brady said, they're going to want to slow the game down. It's going to want to get kind of messy. But I think that's a game that Georgia State is going to be able to adapt to and play towards because Georgia State's defense this year has been so stifling. I think that 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 kind of defense will travel well and seeing them kind of get into that gritty grind it out really, you know, Memphis Grizzlies bring your lunch pail to work kind of style of basketball will be interesting after this past couple day or past couple games of Georgia State really running the other team out of the gym. Yeah, uh, it's, I thought it was funny. It was perfect uh, synchronicity. Uh, David saying it was a slow start because it was. Because the ironic thing about South Alabama is it was a slow start, and what got them on this was slowing it down. Um, the last couple of games, David alluded to, I'll fill in a little bit of the cracks of it. It was a 66-54 win over UTA a 75-59 win over Arkansas State, and a 52-43 win at Little Rock. And the name of the game for them recently, it feels like they're just kind of redefining what they've been, and it's worked for them. It's slowing the game down and limiting the number of shots. But I think that the problem for them is in all of those games, they got poor shooting nights from the other team specifically little rock i mean if you score 43 points in 40 minutes you probably didn't shoot the ball all that well and that definitely was true in that game but the problem is georgia state's a 40 percent shooting team from three as a team and they're going to try and get out and so i think whether it turns out to be a, a game in usa style or georgia state style if georgia state just hit shots and doesn't shoot below their season average by a significant amount 
it feels like a game that they can win just because even if they play South Alabama style, they've got the shooters to still win in that game. Might not be able to keep Georgia State under 60 points. There's also a big problem on South Alabama's offense. The team, they shoot 31% from behind the arc. That's not great. And even if you're limiting Georgia State's offensive opportunities because you're playing slow, as you said, they've got the shooters to where if you can't match them, that's going to make a really long game for you. You know, you definitely want to be shooting higher than 35, 36% from beyond the arc. And they just recently have not been there. But the other part of it, and this is why I'm not looking forward to it, you know, um, preseason favorite there's a lot of talent they seem to be putting it together and you're on the road and winning on the road is a challenge always so i think it's a whiteout on thursday night so oh the fans that show up it's going to be the the intimidating like sea of white kind of like like penn state football games hmm. those games are beautiful and then the other game is probably involves the hardest to pin down team in the conference as far as like how good are they how bad are they in Troy yeah I've just never understood the school when it comes to basketball because even the year that they ran the table in March that team didn't make sense and we're like three years later and they still don't make sense I think you could make the argument that Troy probably has the worst team in the Sun Belt but they have Plenty of wins. They have more. They're not the worst team in the Sun Belt. You know, they've got they beat Little Rock. They beat Texas State, you know, comfortably. They lost to Arkansas State. They lost to ULL. So where where is this Troy team? They're a little they're a little in flux because first year head coach Scott Cross, which I thought was a great hire at the time. Absolutely. Uh, he's it was was the coach at Texas Arlington, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of a fair amount of UTA fans is, is got let go unjustly. And it's going to be interesting to see where those two programs are in a couple of years. If uh, UTA is like, uh, oh, Troy's good and we're not as good as Troy and they've got the coach we decided to fire. Um, it just feels like it's a team that could lose to anyone and also win against anyone in the conference and so if saturday ended up being a game where georgia state just goes in and just shoots the lights out and just mows them down it wouldn't surprise me if it's a game where georgia state shows up and troy matches them punch for punch and it goes down to the wire also wouldn't surprise me and those are the type of games that are no fun definitely not that's exactly what the arkansas state game was so we'll see and and you get, you know, a day off, as it were, after this trip because you only play on the Saturday the next week against Georgia Southern. So after a lot of games and not that many days, you kind of get to even out and uh, get a little more rest. And so that's another reason why the rest that you manufactured yourself against Louisiana schools matters more just because the, the thing going for Georgia State into the South Alabama game is they might be as fresh as they've been since definitely in the new year but since maybe the start of the year maybe the start of the season yeah i think there was a big break between charlotte and dartmouth they had like eight days or something off between those and the holidays were there too uh, but those are always kind of weird 
and there were some games mixed in there. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a good test and, you know, putting, obviously winning both is the ideal result for Georgia state. Getting a split is something you don't want to go into, but racking up road wins and, getting as many of those you can while winning at home is just, that's the key to being a top seed in your conference tournament, which doesn't, it's not the end all be all. You can still win from wherever the conference tournament, but winning what you can on the road and take care of business at home is the formula. It's what Ron Hunter teams did here for all of his time in the Sun Belt. It seems to be the formula Rob Lanier is being able to follow in his first year. And so that said, go win two on the road. Well, let me ask you, because obviously they have an interesting stretch of five games. What is the what is the desired outcome? If we can remove the fact that we want Georgia State to win every game, you know, what does at the end of these five games, how can we sit here and say that yes, this was a successful five games? What has to happen for that to be the case? I really don't think it's unrealistic to ask for four wins, is it? If you go four and one in this stretch, then you really go out and you prove that you are worth this top spot in the Sun Belt. And especially with the win over the other team that is right there with you at the top of the Sun Belt in Georgia Southern. And that's your rival. And also they're tied with Georgia State for the top of the conference. Um, You go out there and you beat the preseason, you know, Sun Belt top pick in South Alabama. They have struggled a little bit, but they've been playing their best basketball this year as of their last five or six games. Georgia Southern is always going to be a tough game for Georgia State, regardless of the record. And you don't know what you're getting out of that Troy team. So, I mean, it's really going to be dependent on we'll have a little bit better of an idea the next time you hear from us after we've played the road games against South Alabama and Troy, um, especially going into Georgia Southern game. But I really don't think that I'm being unrealistic and expecting based on what we've seen from this team in the last few weeks, four wins out of this next five on the schedule. Yeah, I would say four and one or five and oh, you know, it's not an unrealistic ask, especially because teams start starting to get some momentum going with these couple of wins. But I would also say if you go four and one and one of the four wins is definitely against Georgia Southern, they would have to win all the other four games for them not to lose ground against you in the conference race. So that's that game obviously on every level stands out as important, but I would say that would be a desired result is four and one with one of the wins definitely being over Georgia Southern, because in that way you can pretty much guarantee unless they get unscathed through their tour of the Alabamas that you have made up ground on them and you're at least ahead of them, if not ahead of every other team. You know, if we're, we're going to lay out like desired outcomes, you might as well just go for the whole gamut, right? And I do want to take a second to pivot back because Georgia Southern, you made an interesting point, plays almost virtually the same uh, identical schedule as Georgia State over these next five games. They play at Troy and South Alabama flipped from when Georgia State plays the two of them. We play, obviously, in Georgia Southern next Saturday, and then they go right back and they host Troy and South Alabama the inverse of how Georgia State does. So I think this stretch of five games will tell us a lot about the way that these two teams are going to be shaping up down the stretch because you're getting basically the same exact, you're a very similar sample size for both teams to see how they're going to react against two, you know, still solid teams in the, in the conference. So this stretch of five games is going to be really important for 
Georgia State to kind of differentiate themselves from the rest of the top of the pack of the Sun Belt, specifically with Georgia Southern, seeing how they both perform against common opponents is going to be a really interesting foil to seeing how you know the, these two teams that are sitting at top of the conference are going to play out against each other. Um, but we do have some future Georgia State basketball news to kind of get back out of the present, head back to the future. Uh, we have Ryan Boyce, a transfer from Memphis, officially official now and everything. It's been announced. Um, as of right now, he's going to have to sit the fall semester of 2020. So you'd have about two and a half years of eligibility pending any eligibility waiver stuff. Um, but he's... A 6'4 guard, the Heat corrected to say 6'6 on social media. Um, but I mean, obviously, like a big bodied guard from uh, a, a solid group of five school, you know, a mid major coming into Georgia State. Um, it's, it's exciting. Um, it's, you know, Rob Lanier's program and recruiting efforts are slowly starting to matriculate in and kind of seeing. Like he said in his introductory press conference, he's going to want bigger bodies on the floor that are able to play on both sides and run and be able to be physical. And hopefully, I mean, that's what we're bringing in with this, uh, big boy guard, huh? Yeah. I, um, I did think it was funny on social media. Who's like six, four, I'm six, six. <laughs> uh, um, it, it's, it's a really unique situation for Georgia state basketball because we've obviously heralded the good that is in this program. And short of attrition happening, there's not a lot leaving. Uh, Damon Wilson is the only for sure person graduating. Chris Clerkley still feels up in the air, whether he's going to try and get a fifth year eligibility or whatever, that's still playing out, but it's possible that those are the two exits. It seems closer to likely with Clerkley, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but Jojo Toppin is on the roster sitting out transfer. Eliol Sasemi the Cincinnati transfer is sitting out and you're going to have a, a guy who signed from North Carolina, Caleb Scott, who will be enrolling next year. So you're losing one, maybe two players, and then you're going to have four new people adding in voice in the spring semester. So that's a team with a lot of depth is getting a, even more depth while not losing that much in. And, um, I don't know. I feel like it's just going to be a due diligence thing with the eligibility and, you know, nobody really knows what the NCAA anymore and eligibility and immediate eligibility. So we'll see. I guess we have no reason to suspect he would get the waiver approved, but NCAA feels like they're just kind of like flipping a coin sometimes. So maybe he's there for the whole season. Yeah. All I have to add is I Thought that it would slow down when Coach Hunter left, but it still seems like Georgia State is transfer you. So that's always nice. Let's well, go do it for some Georgia State basketball news. Uh, we did get quite a few listener questions. So we're going to run through those for you guys real quick. As always, we kind of put up uh, a social media blast on Twitter and Facebook. Hey, if you have any questions for us for the podcast this week, drop them in here and we'll talk about them. So. You guys responded, and we have uh, plenty to get through here, so I'm going to jump right into it. Ben from Atlanta asks, gray jerseys, uh, bust them out this trip or and break the offer or leave them in Atlanta? What are our thoughts? Leave them. Leave them in Atlanta. I, and I say that not because I believe in any sort of bad juju with them, but it's I don't like the gray jerseys, man. I think if you were to bring the blue, it just looks a lot cleaner. They play better in them. Just go with the blue. Good idea. I think I'm inclined to agree. I, I, uh, I'll, I'll go contrarian just to be unique. Um, 
So the team is 0-2 in them this year, and I guess this is going to go against when I said I'm not that superstitious earlier in a, a previous pod, but... You are a little really stitious. <laughs> do you want to go into, you know, whatever games later in the year with that bad juju hanging over your head? And, oh, what if the blue jerseys, like something happens in the wash and you have both of them for the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament and you can't wear the blue ones anymore. And so it's like, oh, well, we, we've got to wear these cursed ones now. <laughs> so, you know, these games, especially, you know, I feel like this just tying together to my previous talk, especially because the Troy game is just so up in the air. We're not really sure it could be, you know, whatever. That seems like the perfect Juju Buster game. And you can we wear the grays. You can go out there, play the game, see what happens. And if you lose it, it wasn't the jerseys. It was just, oh, this was kind of a weird game. Perfect. <laughs> He's hedging his bets so well. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we wear the gray jerseys and beat Alabama on that buzzer beater last year? You were not wrong. Correct. So I, I don't think I want, like I said, I don't really buy into the superstition around. Well, we would never want against anyone with these jerseys on. They just kind of aren't my favorite. I just like the way that the black jerseys look so much that all other, I, I like the blue as well, uh, but obviously the black jerseys are my one true love maybe we'll see them come back next year they're just so clean i hope so man i miss them so much yeah we hadn't had a uh, basketball uniform we had a couple football uniform questions but i guess we should just get it out in the air that thursday night podcast endorses the black basketball jerseys so under our executives listening to this get on it (laughs) i know you're out there i've seen the analytics um, so, all right. So moving on, Mike from Marietta asks, the Panthers have seven regular season road games left. If you could only make one trip for the food, which trip would you make? Really good question this week from Mike. Very thought provoking. I think this is my favorite question we've ever gotten. I, I it, totally agree. <laughs> it's, the sad part is, is it took me all of like a minute and a half to think about it. Um, I would have had it sooner, but I needed to check Texas geography. Um, the answer is Texas State, and the reason is not because I care specifically about San Marcos. Um, no disrespect to that entire town and Texas State University. David, that was um, so disrespectful <laughs> to the whole town. But That was just the sorry to this town. <laughs> Austin, that was the Texas, bless your heart. Come on, <laughs> Austin, Texas is 35 minutes away, and supposedly that's where barbecue was invented. Austin, really. Texas is a food destination for sure. Exactly. And I, man, I just love barbecue so much. So, David, think of the breakfast tacos, my guy. Come on. Why don't you have breakfast tacos with your barbecue? You can do both. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm definitely agreeing with you. San Marcos is the spot if you're going for food. And Mike, I don't know if you know how on brand this question is for the people (laughs) on this podcast either. Just the intersection of sports and food is where you'll find David and I. So, um, yeah, you're not going to hear any disagreement from me. Uh, So San Marcos, Texas State, that's my goal. That's my choosing. Texas works. I went to Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which is where UTA is, and the same type of food. So I guess, again, I'll be contrarian and I'll say Arlington, uh, but Texas is the way to go as far as food. 
All right. Coming up next, Bailey from Atlanta asks, when do you think the men's home win streak will come to an end? Very interesting question. Someone else answered this. I don't want to. I, I don't like these questions. Like, I don't either because it just feels like you're happen? just putting bad vibes out <laughs> of the universe, man. Like, I'll say this. I'll say that over the history we've been following the team, you know, been around in school. Georgia State's been a very good home team. So this isn't a new thing that they're undefeated at home at this point in the season. The weird thing is the losses are really hard to predict because there's been a few of them. There's a Texas State loss, I believe the first tourney year, the year that Georgia State ended up beating Baylor, where a dude who had not hit a three the entire season hit one like banked in to send it to I think that was sent it to a second overtime or that sent it to the initial overtime and it wasn't when Texas State was where they are you know where they were last year where they were this like really tough though like top tier conference team like they were kind of mediocre and so it was a really weird loss the other losses that the other category I'll say is the years where Georgia State hasn't been as good and good teams came in and smacked them Um, Louisiana one of the years I think the last time that Louisiana beat Georgia State. Yeah, uh, that was in Atlanta. It was it was a, call it a total total blowout. Um that was still when Sean Long was in school. Ah, uh, yes. Louisiana. Um and when Little Rock won 30 games and went to this uh second round of the tournament that year. Yeah, they they beat Georgia State at home. So I don't see one of those losses happening because I don't think that there's any team like that that's head and shoulders better than this Georgia State team. But you already lost to Coastal and Apps played you close. So if you're going to make me pick a time right in the middle of February, hosting the teams that have played you tough or even one, I'll I'll go in that neighborhood. But I I don't actually think it's going to happen. I hedged my bet there, too. Yeah, um, I think so. It was the last loss in Atlanta, the Texas State game from 2018 to 19? Yes, the last time they would have lost Atlanta was that December 2018 against Texas State. Yeah, I just don't know that they have the opponents that this year it would have to be they schedule somebody you know pretty impressive out of conference to come to atlanta play them and they would lose then um which isn't to say that they're not playing good teams in atlanta this year obviously they are but um i mean they haven't lost the southern at home and since the 90s mentioned coastal and app state but we still don't really know what those two teams are this year I guess Little Rock is the best competition that they have right now, but you know we'll see how much that game matters in terms of seeding later on. So maybe I guess Little Rock could get up for it. Um, but other than that, I feel like this year, you know, that ship is probably done. I don't feel too bad saying that. I figured one of us needed to give an answer. Answer, not the exact answer you gave, which was my initial thought. Um, I'm a people person. What can I say? All right. And finally, we have Steve from Fayetteville writes in and asks, Georgia State hasn't developed a starting quarterback out of high school in a long time. Instead, choosing to go after junior college transfers. Why do you think a top tier high school quarterback would choose GSU knowing this? 
Interesting question. I know I've said that about all of them, but this is really like a heavy hitters week for listener questions. So thank you for that. First of all, this this was a great week for questions. So the answer that stands out most uh, is the answer that overrides every part of college football recruiting relationships, relationships, relationships. Uh, If a guy comes to a school, feels comfortable with the staff and the staff is saying the right things and it feels like a place that they could call home. That is more often than not the determining factor in a commitment. So I don't know that quarterback commits are looking at Georgia state and looking at the entire history and seeing every quarterback that's played and running down what class they were when they played. But I know that they will have had conversations with the coaching staff and the coaching staff would have said, this is what we like, you know, this is where we think you can fit in the offense. And that's where a lot of commitments come. And so I think in that regard, it's a lot that what I'd also say separately is that coach Elliott and coach Glenn, the offensive coordinator have both made a point of saying that they like playing guys young as quarterbacks. And that I think that possibly because they didn't inherit a, this, this staff, did not inherit a deep quarterback room, but had Connor Manning when they came in, who was the starter. And then Coach Elliott said he just kind of didn't really want to get a junior college guy. And then once he met Dan, he's like, yeah, no, this guy is going to be in this program. Um, I think their inclination is to start guys young. So I think that it's also for this staff, their history lays out that they are interested in starting young guys. So I don't think it's just BS for them to be saying we want to play these young guys. It would surprise me if a real upperclassman comes into the mix this year. I think it'll be the three guys that are on campus now at quarterback, and they might throw in another person who's had experience, but that's the other part of it. And that was just a long winded of saying a lot of things, but I hope that answers your question. I feel like it's not a problem, though, because um, I think while the simple answer is recruiting, at the end of the day, coaches do have to scout what it is that they're looking for. You know, like Coach Miles, he scouted Arbuckle and he scouted uh, Connor Manning. So that doesn't mean that, you know, quarterbacks didn't come through Georgia State during those years, obviously. Um they did, but at the same time, though, I think guys are aware of what they can do, and they, you know, guys are competitive. They kind of look at a situation and they say, "Well, yeah, you might be the guy this year, but you know, once I graduate high school and I'm legal and can go to college, I'm going to beat you." And maybe we haven't seen that youth take over at Georgia State that other schools have had with freshmen who are just lighting it up, you know, but. I'm not so sure that that's a thing that'll be a problem going forward, especially specifically in 2020. Yeah, it's definitely the most young talent this program's had at quarterback probably ever. And we'll see how good that is as we go into spring practice and into next year. We'll see how much the freshman stands out with these guys, but there haven't been this many highly touted young quarterbacks as the three that are there now. So I think that 
that's also part of it is that guys see that Dan's gone. There isn't an heir apparent on the roster and it's going to be a real competition. So right now I think that they believe what the coaches are telling them about. They can go out and win it. Well, thank you again for all the great listener questions this week. Please keep them up. This is our probably one of the favorite part of recording each episode. We'd love the listener questions. So again, please be uh, mindful of looking out for our stuff on social media that when we're asking for questions, so you don't miss an opportunity for your question to wind up on the show. Other than that, we're going to be back uh, next week talking about some of these Georgia State basketball games, uh, the Alabama road trip, getting ready to preview Southern, um, and then breaking down any other, you know, kind of off-season football news or anything like that that comes out in the next couple of days. So thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.